CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. Citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount Plus. It's the UEFA Champions League on Paramount Plus. Europe's top club soccer tournament. Champions versus champions. The best teams facing off in the knockout rounds. Magnificent! And it all takes place. While you're filling out financial reports at work. In the middle of your day, in the middle of your week. So use that second screen. Call in sick. Do whatever you gotta do to tune in Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Nobody watches the UEFA Champions League like us. Stream every match live exclusively on Paramount Plus. Welcome, everyone, back to the broadcast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network, and I am joined by Tracy Pearson. Tracy, how are you? Hello, Dave. How are you? I'm great. It's great to hear your voice. Couldn't complain if I tried. <laughs> we all can complain if we try. Yeah, it's true. So, yeah, we, so. you know, this is really funny. Every week we... Leading into something like uh, the podcast, we think we don't have that much to talk about. And then when we get to the time when we're, we have too much to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the case this week. Yeah. So we've got um, just a couple of topics, but I, th- I think I think they're going to be fruitful and may multiply. Uh, mm-hmm. to, to begin with, uh, yesterday, the Big Ten released the schedule and matchups for uh, the first two years of UCLA's entry into the Big Ten, UCLA and USC. Um, very interesting. Um, it's so let's let's just let's just start off with the bare bones. All right, so UCLA in year one is going to play on the road: Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, and Rutgers, and at home: Minnesota, Nebraska, Northwestern, Ohio State and USC. And then in 2025, it's going to be at Illinois, at Michigan State, at Nebraska, at Penn State, at USC, and then Maryland, Purdue, Rutgers, Wisconsin at home. So if you're gauging the thing, uh, 2024, a little bit more of a star-studded schedule. You know, you've got Michigan and Ohio State both on the schedule. 2025, really the only marquee traditional Big Ten program on the list is Penn State. But... um, yeah, it's it, so. First, I want to start with this, Tracy. The reality of this really struck me looking at it. You know, it's one thing to speculate about oh who they might play and all this other stuff, but like the reality of oh wow, they're going to be playing at Rutgers. We we're all gonna we're all gonna bear witness to that. That's <laughs> that's really something. Yeah, um, it really is interesting uh, when you when you just read it first and how it hits you. And then when you start really thinking about it and and getting in deep on it, and you're right that the very first thing you think of is the the literal experience of going to watch UCLA play at Michigan. Mm-hmm. I, I've been to Ann Arbor. I, you know, I um, I've never seen UCLA play at Ann Arbor, but looking forward, it, you just feel about what that experience is going to be. 110,000 people in the big house. That I mean, that's just great. Um, Having Ohio State at the Rose Bowl, just it's it's so you, yeah you feel that experience, 
And then I'd have to say your first uh, just very visceral impression is, holy crap. <laughs> yeah. This, this is a tough schedule. But when you start to break it down... Um, it remains yeah. an insanely tough schedule. Yes, it, correct. It, it does remain, but not. It takes a little edge off. Let's put it that way. It's um, so I, uh, the second year, twenty twenty five, especially. There's a little bit. Uh, it's not quite as tough. Twenty twenty five is fine. Here's the issue with twenty twenty four: is there's added context of the non conference, which I think, yeah. which I think is important. Um, in twenty twenty four, UCLA will go at Hawaii. Which is such an egregious road trip that teams are granted a 13th game to make up for the experience of going there. Just remember that. Uh, then there's at LSU in the same schedule where they're going at Indiana, at Iowa, at Michigan, and at Rutgers. So any schedule where you have six road games in modern college football, if you're a Power 5 team, is a bad schedule. Just full stop. If you're a Power 5 program, you shouldn't ever be doing that. Um if, if you can do anything to avoid it. Um, number two, it's a ton of travel. They're, they're, and this is just the reality of being in the Big Ten, but when you add in, you know, what is Hawaii? 2,500 miles, LSU another 2,000, uh, in addition to Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, and Rutgers. It's a ton of travel. It's over 13,000 miles of travel. Uh, and then add to that, you have at LSU and at Michigan – in the same year, which is too marquee what we would have thought of as, you know, kind of traditional um, non-conference opponents in the same year, that you're also playing Ohio State and USC at home. <laughs> I would say we've seen it in the past when UCLA has had like one of the toughest schedules in the country. This has this when the rankings for the 2024 schedules come out, if this isn't one of the toughest schedules in the country, I'd be stunned. Uh, and I, I, I mean, I want to get into it a little. Uh, just let's go, let's use last year's schedule of sure. the Pac 12 to compare. So, straight up, USC is USC. Um, you're substituting Oregon for Ohio State. Mm-hmm. Bit of a difference there. Bit, so, of a, bit of a step up. That That's the other thing, too. That That's the difference. Um, with the Big Ten, you are not only getting, you know, a, a, let's say an Oregon Utah level team. You are getting a Michigan Ohio State. Well, let, let's team, actually do which Apple is Apple. which is top five country. Uh, top five team in the country. Let's so, do let's do apples to apples with home and away because the at Oregon would actually be the at Michigan, and let's call versus Utah at home is the comparison, or versus Washington at home is the comparison for Ohio State at home. Okay. So that's two major upgrades in the Big Ten's favor. Yes. Um, uh, you would say, what did you say? Washington was whom? What, let's call Washington, Ohio State at home. Uh, Washington or Utah. Pick whichever one you want, but let's keep it home and away. Um, let's say, okay, let's say that's Utah. Yeah. Um, then Washington at home. I mean, Minnesota was pretty good. They're eight and five last year. They weren't as good as Washington. Right. Yeah, I know. So yeah, for one thing, one thing, just comparing them to the Big Ten last year, Big Ten was kind of funky last year. I mean, some good tradition teams that are usually pretty good weren't, and some teams like Minnesota were, were better than you thought. Oh, let's take so, a step back real quick. 
The yeah. Big Ten, the idea that the Big Ten is like this drastically superior competitive league is insane and stupid, and people should get out of that mindset. Once you get past yeah. the top four teams or so in the Big Ten, it's a lot of dreck. Um, and so the 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 issue with uh, UCLA's entry into the Big Ten is not having to play Minnesota. It's not having to play Indiana. It's having to play with some consistency in addition to USC, which is, you know, a program that can recruit at a top 10 level consistently, two other programs that can recruit at that level, and another one in Penn State that recruits consistently at a top 15 level. Um, so you've got those four programs in the Big Ten, uh, which are going to, as a matter of course, uh, almost always have more talent than UCLA, even when UCLA is recruiting well. So that's one part. I slightly disagree. I, 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 the Big Ten has a rep, and it's a little bit overinflated. But there is a little bit of difference in that second tier. There are teams like Wisconsin, Michigan State, Iowa, that traditionally, consistently are better than what were the middle four of the Pac-12, which is, what, ASU... Last last fifteen years, ASU, Washington State, I mean Oregon State. Now, uh, Wisconsin, Michigan State, and Iowa has the chance year in and year out to consistently put a more competitive team on the field. That will be a lot tough, a lot tougher out for UCLA. Um, so there's that too. That second tier is a slight, slightly tougher tier. Now the bottom tier is comparable. <laughs> Right, I mean, you got your Northwesterns and your Rutgers. Yeah, um, the the trash the trash in the middle are more or less similar. Um, I don't think you can call Wisconsin, Michigan State, Iowa. Are they trash in the middle? Those are consistently pretty good programs. So Those last, are consistently top a, twenty programs. Yeah, last year was a particularly down year for the Pac-12, but like ASU is consistently usually. I mean, maybe not Wisconsin tier, but like again, when you get into who they're playing all the time, and the fact that like you know a lot of that, those that's a big that's a big point. A lot of who those programs yeah. in the West part of the Big Ten are playing trash all year, every year, and they get inflated win records. So I don't know. I, I guess it's it's close enough to apples to apples that I don't get too excited about it. It's really just that upper crust where you see a major differentiation, where instead of you know. The Pac-12 has one USC. They've got two and a half. Yeah, I, I mean, if you're looking long-term and you're not looking recent recent um, success, um, you would look USC is USC, right? Let's just let's just say that. Yeah. Consistently, then obviously the probably the most successful team in the Pac-12 recently has been Oregon, and you'd compare that with Ohio State. So that that that's a that's a huge leap. Um, next, probably over the last ten years, has been Utah. Compare them to Michigan. Uh, Michigan's still going to be probably over the next five years a, a tougher team to play. Then Pac-12 would be Washington and Penn State. You would say, right? Yeah. Washington is a lot uh, is isn't a consistent winner at the same level as as Penn State. Then we're getting down to that middle group. So right there, that upper crust is tougher. Mm -hmm. um, then you've got, let's say, ASU and Iowa. 
Iowa's a little bit better consistently year in and year out. There's less consistency with ASU. I can't go that far on Iowa because they're playing the brand of football Iowa plays doesn't hold up except in these frosty Big Ten environments. Okay, let's do this. Let's say Wisconsin's consistently been probably a little bit better than Iowa. ASU or Wisconsin? Wisconsin's going to be a tougher... I mean, your general impression would be Wisconsin's a tougher game than ASU. And I'm. I, this is regardless of where it is. I'm just talking uh, honestly, five years, I, I, six I'll, years. I'll, I'll, I'll take that. I, I honestly think Iowa's pretty comparable to ASU, though. Okay. Okay. Again, um, not not just purely wins losses, because I don't think you can do that. Because if you look at who they okay, beat let, when they're... Let's do that. Let's say they cancel each other out. Yeah. Iowa and ASU cancel each other out. Then let's say it's Wisconsin and Oregon State. No, no. Okay, then Wisconsin, Washington State. Uh, <laughs> well, Wisconsin. this is the, uh, but this is the problem with the league in the last couple of years is that. But wait, let, let's just then, before we even get any further. So you've got you'd have Michigan State and Wisconsin on one side, and Oregon State and Washington State. If you go over the last six, seven years, the teams that have been the best in the Pac-12, they would kind of match up to Michigan State and, and Wisconsin. Not so, not Oregon State because Oregon State's only been like pretty good for two years now. Um, okay, I mean, then, it, the, then the, you're making my point better. Who would be? <laughs> well, again, I, I, we're kind of mixing things because we're doing like historical, and then you're also doing like the last like three years because. Well, that that's what I think you have to do if you're looking long term because you have to look at recent, but you also have. I, I think in in consistently season by season, Wisconsin has a better chance of putting a very competitive team on the field compared to, and this I think may be your point, Washington State or Oregon State. Yeah, absolutely. But that's why I'm just doing kind of the historical um, kind of recruiting profiles of these programs, um, which is the way I think you should always kind of assess these things. Wisconsin has a better recruiting profile and always will than Washington State and Oregon State. Um, Michigan State also. Michigan State to an extent. Michigan State's kind of nouveau riche still. Uh, But yeah. Uh, they kind of got a decent history, though. That goes back, if you look at their, uh, let's just say, better than Oregon State and Washington yeah, State. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, but, like, the thing is, uh, earmuffs, Washington State, Oregon State fans, they're barely Power 5 programs. Um, and, yeah, they do to an extent. But, like, I would consider them historically in the very bottom tier of the Pac-12, not in the middle of it. Okay, then what's the middle? The middle is, so historically, it's, uh, so historically, historically, USC, UCLA, Washington, and Oregon in some combination at the top. And, you, and okay, Utah, Utah's been good for 10 years. Utah's been good for 10 years, so you can throw them into a conversation around the top tier. Okay. Uh, then you've got your ASU, Stanford, and Cal, which all have, you know, comparative you know, certain comparative advantages and certain comparative disadvantages. Cal may be dead in the water. We don't know what the, what the, you know, what the future holds for that program, but just leave that to the side. And then you've got Arizona, Oregon State, Washington State that, you know, they've mostly been trash. And then Colorado Colorado being, you know, a trash program for 15 years, but before that pretty good. So, um, and the thing is, there's not an equal number of teams, so it's it's hard to do just like a pure apples to apples. I guess my point is, there can be an argument about a lot of it after the top tier, um, but that top top tier, 
that's and we're we're saying the same thing uh it's that's where the fundamental huge difference lies right so what i'm doing agreed on the top tier fundamental you are playing at consistently over years okay but a a tougher top tier the bottom tier all both trash and i get but that middle tier it's going to be a little bit tougher game. Well, then what's because, Nebraska? Well, I mean, in, in your... See, that's the, that's the thing. Nebraska's Nebraska, trash right now. Nebraska's trash, but they have a far better chance of turning around that program and being very good than, let's say, Arizona. Right? I mean, I think Nebraska has a far better chance with their history. I mean, you could say they're... You could make an argument that they're... a Football blue blood. Uh, I mean, far better chance. They're like Indiana in basketball. At any point, they could get it rolling, and they got a new coach. So Okay, but Rutgers, yeah. Purdue, Northwestern, Maryland. Uh, well, and Maryland had a good – Maryland had one of its best years. I think they went 8-4, 8-5 or something. They, they, so, so, yeah. Think about what you just said. They had one of yeah, their no, best no, no. years. They went 8-5. and five. Exactly. No, but, but I'm saying it's a trash program. It doesn't yeah, matter yeah. if they had one. But good they're year. the Maryland's the equivalent of what your point is of, of Oregon State. Yeah, no, they're not. Maryland's a worse program than Oregon State. Uh, Maryland, okay. Maryland uh, went uh, one, two. They've had a negative SRS, uh, which is a simple rating system. Everyone should use it. Uh, in one, two, three, four, five years in the last 15, um, it's a bad program. They've, they never have really good years. Let me just finish my point. Top tier. Yes. Bottom tier. It's there. Big 10's always going to have a trash bottom tier year in and year out. But who are you including in your bottom tier? Because that's getting mixed around here a lot. Rutgers. Let's just say, let's just go for rut. I mean, real bottom tier Rutgers and Northwestern. No. Their bottom, their bottom tier includes like five schools. Like they have five schools that are absolute trash programs and always have been. I'm just saying the absolute bottom tier, the kind of uh, teams that like have been Colorado in the Pac-12 recently or Arizona before that, that you can expect. They're not. It's not Minnesota or Purdue or Maryland that will occasionally win eight games. They are going to be one to three wins. <laughs> Almost every single. Okay, year. what about Indiana? Indiana since is, 1994, Indiana yeah. has gone to five total bowl games. Right. So who are they equivalent of in the Pac-12? Arizona's been to a lot more bowl games than that. Have they? Yeah, they've been to one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, just in the last 15 years. I'd say they're kind of comparable, though. I mean, all I'm saying, my point is that the middle tier is going to whatever you want to call it, whatever whatever schools you want to call it. And it is strange because, you know, we're talking about now 16 teams is a little bit of an upgrade too. It's going to be a little bit tougher teams. Instead of playing Washington State, you're going to play Wisconsin. Um instead of you know, uh, uh, Oregon State in 2 years, you're going to play Michigan State. I mean, it, there's just a there's a little bit of an upgrade in the middle in the middle tier. I think that makes that significant because last year in the Pac-12, UCLA had four really tough games, and then the rest were 
I mean, they're all pretty bad opponents, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Yeah, I think it, when you get to the Big Ten, there isn't gonna, there won't be that that kind of just the rest are bad. There's gonna be every year you have a better chance that Michigan State's putting it t together that year. Wisconsin, Nebraska comes back. Purdue has a good year. Minnesota puts it together. I think there's a better chance in the Big Ten for that middle tier to randomly have a couple of teams that put it together that year. Um, so looking at this schedule, applying all this, now let's get specific for the years. we got 2024. Mm -hmm. um, you'd have to say, I mean, uh, obviously we're, we're making a big leap here. Um, at LSU, 2024, LSU should have this rolling. I mean, they started to almost put it together at the end of last year. So uh, let's just uh, what would you put the non-conference? Probably, luckily, two and one. At Hawaii, at LSU, and Fresno State at home? Yeah. Yeah, I think two and one's reasonable. Okay. Now, of course, we don't know. We have no we idea don't know. what the team's going to look like, but yeah. Yeah, we don't know the order of this of of these games. Um, I think we could just pencil in a, a loss of Ohio at Ohio State. I mean, Ohio State at the Rose Bowl, don't you think? Maybe at Michigan, pencil that in as a loss. Yeah, I mean th that's the deal. Um, they're going to be no matter almost literally no matter what the two teams acquire in the various transfer portal and recruiting markets in the next year. You can virtually guarantee UCLA is going to be a minimum seven-point dog in each of those games. Right. So now we're at we were two and one non-conference. We are now at two and three. Um, uh, USC at home in the Rose Bowl—that's a fifty-fifty proposition at any given time, I think. So let's just kind of throw that one out. You've got at Indiana, at Iowa, then Minnesota, Nebraska, Northwestern at home. So you've got five five games right there. You'd probably say any maybe three and two. Yeah, yeah. So now we are at where are we? <laughs> six and six is that what I said? Yeah, more or less. Yeah, and then USC. It's not making when you just kind of guess it out. You just overall you're starting to get a feel. It just how tough it's going to be to play. This is what people do. They look at it and they go, wow, this is going to be tough. And then they start to kind of go a little counter and contrary. Oh, it might not be that tough. The Big Ten's kind of trash it, other than its top five teams. Blah, blah, blah. But then if you really look at it, you kind of maybe come around to thinking it, it, is, it is going to be tougher generally year in and year out than playing in the Pac-12. Yeah, and... Uh but I, I do want to, I mean, I, I don't mean to keep hammering this point, but the reason it's tougher and the reason we're counting uh, two auto losses, more or less, at Michigan and Ohio State is because it's Michigan and Ohio State. Yes. Um, and then they've also added LSU to the schedule for that year, or they had LSU on the schedule prior to all this being worked out. So, and that's where, like, you're playing in this schedule for 2024, you are playing LSU, Michigan, Ohio State, and USC for top 10 recruiting powers um, historically. And it's just, that's, irrespective of all the other stuff, it's, 
that's nuts, man. Like that that's is nuts. that is a that is an insane schedule. If they uh, eked out one win, <laughs> yeah, and look, the, the USC. I mean, we've seen it year after year. Chip Kelly coaches that game extremely well every yeah. single year. They are extremely competitive in that game, so it's not out of the question they win that game at home. Um, but Ohio State, Michigan, and LSU. That's that's going to be a that's that's a lot of talent they're going well, to have. Well, and and also on the road of LSU yeah. and Michigan, the word <laughs> that's the worst you could have. And then combined with Ohio State, which usually because of recruiting and recent history, I mean Ohio State might be the best team in college football over the last several. You're gonna. That's the the toughest team you get in the Rose Bowl. <laughs> yeah. So all right, let's. We've kind of talked about something that's probably a negative, which is they're going to lose more games. Let's. let's but everyone out there, buy a subscription. It's, <laughs> <laughs> let's flip the conversation a little bit. This is going to be more fun. This schedule, oh. in specific, it's going to be more fun for fans to, um, especially this first year. Watch going going at Michigan. Like if you can make that road trip, that'll probably be really fun for you. Watching Ohio State at the Rose Bowl in a regular season game, that's going to be really fun for you. Going at LSU is going to be really fun for you if you can make that trip. That's going to be insane. You can also do a Hawaii trip. You could if you're a big UCLA, you know, uh fan, you could do two Hawaii trips to watch UCLA events this year. That's awesome. Or no, yeah. not actually. It would be twenty. Well, over the course of almost a year. Over the course of a of a calendar year, yeah. or a twelve month period. Um, yeah. And then it's you know USC at home. There's a lot of there's a lot of uh, cool and new factor that I think is going to excite a lot of people, even if they do just go six and six against the schedule. Hey, I'm semi excited about going to Rutgers. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season, and so are we. I'm Tori Deal, and I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars Four is finally here, and this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts. It's the NFL offseason, but I'll pick six. Part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Ducible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must-listen. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, yeah, Rutgers is a place. I'm not really. Yeah. I'm I, not really. I, I mean, because Rutgers to me, and if everyone, you know, we got to do this too. Anyone who knows the away experience, let's just do 2024. The away experience for Rutgers, let's say, kind of got, I kind of remember my feeling at Ann Arbor. Iowa, I kind of know a little because my wife's family is all from Des Moines, outside of Des Moines. So I kind of know Iowa a little. At Indiana, I've actually been to that campus a couple of times. But if anyone has any specifics about the experience of going to a game there, start a thread and start filling us in, especially about Rutgers. Because I might be wrong. 
Rutgers, the main campus is in New Brunswick, right? Out there, it's... New I Brunswick, think? Piscataway, right? Yeah. And then uh, that's what? Uh, an hour outside of New York? Yeah. It's pretty close. So, I mean, I guess you could stay in New York, which is always fantastic, regardless of whatever you're doing. But it's not giving you the... Co- is there really a college experience of staying around the univer- uh, university? I could be R- wrong. Rutgers I th- University? I thought Rutgers was mostly a commuter school, so I could be wrong. I, I think it is, too. They have different... My impression is that they have different little locations also. No, the trick is I know to there's stay one in, in Newark. I know there's one in Newark. The trick is to stay in Princeton. Oh. And then head up. We need Rutgers we need there. to talk to our guy, Brian Dunn. Yeah. <laughs> we do. The, you know what, though? We wouldn't get a straight answer from him. No, I'd be like, no, oh, it's he'd great. Make it the, it's the most amazing experience ever to come see the Scarlet Knights. Yeah. We're not doing our Jersey accent right now. I don't know. Um, I, I can't do a Jersey accent. Yay. The Turnpike. You got to be like such a level of like, um, I'm going to be insulting to Jersey right here and I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it, Tracy. Oh, wow. Wow. You are always the one who goes a little too far. Uh, I've, got, insults. I, I've got. Because you're rolling the dice. No one is. I've got me. friends who are Jersey natives. I'm not going to. Oh, there we go. No, um, there had to be a reason. So, um, yeah. But OK. So looking at the schedule, um, I think there's a lot of reason for excitement uh, about the matchups themselves. I think there is. uh you should build in some caution about what your expectations are for UCLA against that schedule. Um, and it's, again, specific to 2024. 2025, as we just talked about, is a little bit easier um, in some ways. Now, here's something I want to talk about because um, somebody, some dirty rat, I love you posters in the message board, uh, posted a thread calling me out for my my Twitter take on this, and I'll be writing a fuller thing later today. Um, the reason travel is hard is baked into everyone's understanding of college football. Um, now, we can put our fingers in our ears and go nanu, 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 as if it doesn't exist, but the reason road games are hard, in addition to the home, the home away you know stadium experience, that whole thing, is because you're traveling. Um, it's, it's more difficult the more time zones away you travel. Um, this has been proven in variety of studies and performance against the spread in a variety of different sports at the professional level where their entire job is just to play that sport, um, and be prepared for it. And they don't have any, I I don't know what the rules and regulations are on how early they can get in, but I saw dolphins, uh, practicing at, uh, UCLA several days ahead of their game um, earlier this year. So uh, I thought you just said Dolphins. The Dolphins, Miami. <laughs> I, did I was say, picturing I did say dolphins. dolphins. I saw Dolphins <laughs> practicing. Um, I did say that. Um, but uh, there's, there's a lot of reasons why road games are difficult. One of them is the travel involved. And the further away you travel, the further out of your own time zone you travel, the harder and harder it is. UCLA, by making the decision to going into the Big Ten, baked that into their future. Every single year they're going to be taking, and you can see it now in the schedules, a minimum. It's so, it's so apt that we hear the plane flying that, in the background. We right. finally found something that the plane yeah. flying in the background there's a great background. They're going to be playing a minimum of four games uh, in the in at least the central time zone. And uh, the majority of them are going to be in the eastern time zone. Um, 
that's hard uh and it's you know it's you don't have a an easy analog in ucla history because when you're talking about oh they've got a great non-conference record in these road games in the east coast you know all this kind of stuff you're talking about games that take place before school starts universally before school starts um you're not talking about games that are in the winter you're not talking about games that are in the late fall you're talking about games that are all before school starts in warm weather um and that's a different deal too so there's a lot of different factors at play with why away games are hard but like i feel like i'm i'm taking crazy pills when people are telling me oh what are you talking about i get on a flight and i go do my job and it's no big deal yeah you sit in front of a desk you like type things on a computer you talk to people that's your job and if you're a little foggy drink some coffee um these are guys who are expected to perform at a peak level uh, oh know. they're not taking like enhancement drugs no Dave? but but they're they're competing at a peak level physically yeah like, no, that's I, what I say. yeah but no but there's if anybody is taking those enhancing drugs tracy it's professional <laughs> athletes and the professional athletes have this baked into their understanding of the sport too west to east travel in particular when the game you are playing and this is important too is not a night game if it is a midday game which has anybody looked at how many big 10 night games there are not a whole lot uh if it's a if it's a big 10 day game that you're having to go play if it's going to be at 9 a.m ucla's record in those games is not going to be good just uh, that that, okay, so that needs to be said i agree generally um Let's just break, because everyone throws this argument around, and I think you've hit on the part of it that is amazingly valid. But if we break, you know, people are saying how much more difficult the flight is. See, I, I tend, if you're going to fly another hour and a half, and you're on now a charter flight, if anyone's ever been on a charter flight where you just... <laughs> drive up in the car and get on the plane. Uh, I mean, that is an amazing relief mentally and physically. Um, my understanding is that most of these flights now will be, will be uh, if they weren't all of them charter, they will now all be chartered. Um, it's the time zone thing. Absolutely. Uh, I, I, I mean, I don't think you can, if people are arguing, I, I don't think people are arguing against that, Dave. They're just not paying attention to it. And so we'd have to really look at specifically, okay, let's just say the first year at Indiana, at Iowa, at Michigan, and at Rutgers. Um, so Rutgers, Michigan, uh, all, is Indiana Central Time? That's how no. ridiculous. It's not. They're all East Coast. Yeah, they're all East Coast. Okay, so that's all. Well, no, that, Iowa, a, Iowa's not. Iowa's two years. You think I know Iowa. Uh, that's two, right. Um but so it's either one that one that's two hour difference, the other are three. Mm -hmm. So that is going. I mean, like you said, there's plenty of data that proves it's harder to play when you're traveling like that. I'd say on the flip side, though. So let's say UCLA is just at a bit of a disadvantage of playing those games in different time zones. They might have an advantage then against Minnesota, Nebraska, Northwestern, and Ohio State because they're flying into another time zone. Okay, but this is the important thing to understand. How many times does Minnesota have to do that? 
That, that's true. That's a good point that UCLA will do it a number of times compared to Minnesota. UCLA and, I, and what, USC, because I think if you want to if you want to say, hey, at least USC's uh, dealing with it, too. USC is going to be screwed, too. I, I, and isn't that the kind of the concession they gave to the big a lot of the Big Ten schools? You won't have to travel to L.A. twice. Yeah, that was a year. huge point. And why do you think it mattered to them? Everyone, uh, they just want to make them a little happy. Yeah, why do you think that mattered? Do you, do you think it mattered yeah. maybe because they all know and everyone knows and we're all just like playing a little game where we don't pretend like we know? So let me this ask impacts you this. Wins. Is there data about which where you're coming from? Let, let's say you say so it's mixed. Uh, west okay. to east. West to east is harder. Um, is you the think general. So? There's no, data on that? I'd like to see that. Yeah, there's there's there. But it's mixed. So if it's a night game that you're going west to east, there is. Yes. So for the NBA, because NBA is almost all night games. Uh, for right. the NBA, there's not a huge disadvantage. However, none of these will be night games. None of them. Like That's not what the Big Ten we does. We do know this, that when there is a Big Ten team coming to Pasadena, they won't be playing at 6 o'clock or 7 o'clock? Sorry, sorry. No, I'm talking about the west to east. Oh, okay, west when, to east. When west to east happens, if it is a day game, which almost all of these will be, it's harder. That's harder. East to west is easier. Because you're playing at noon. There, it's 9 a.m. Right. East to yeah. west is easier if you're playing at uh, traditional football times. Like if you're playing yes. in the middle of the day, which everyone... I mean, if we want to just do full talking outside both sides of our mouth, uh, everyone said the reason UCLA was doing the Big Ten move in addition to all the other stuff was because they didn't want to play so many 730 games at home. And because it was the Big Ten, they're not going to play 730 games at home. Well, now they should want to. <laughs> well, they they should have always wanted to, um, yeah. to because uh, that's how you get the advantage with the Big Ten teams coming west. But as we all know, uh, again, in your heart of hearts, in your understanding of life, the universe, and everything, this had nothing to do with winning football games, and this had everything to do with money. Um, and so, the the money is the thing that matters. And seven thirty games don't play as well as five o'clock games. So, so that's it. That's a really good point that you let it into because I had it on my notes where I wanted this to go. Um, so, if let's just say overall we come upon the conclusion that the schedule and I, this isn't this isn't a revelation. The schedule is going to be it's going to be a little tougher. Um, the traveling will make it tougher to succeed to be successful in these games. But then you have to figure in, because you have to take a holistic look at this. Uh, the Pac-12, if UCLA had stayed in the Pac-12 with USC, what would the media rights been? $25 million? Maybe? No, they no got, it would have been more than that if they'd stayed with USC. Really? Okay, maybe 30. No, I mean, it, I saw it, it, would have been, 30. it would have been 35 or 40. Um, if, the, if USC had stayed too. If it had just been UCLA in that weird scenario... But twenty-five to thirty, probably. But if USC and UCLA had both stayed, it would have been thirty-five to forty. Hmm. I, I okay. I'd like to check. I thought I saw it like thirty to thirty-five. But let's just say it's thirty to forty, somewhere in there. Over the course of a few years, being the Big Ten, it's going to be anywhere from seventy to a hundred, right? I don't know that, that. There was some controversy about that too. I have no idea. But yeah, I would say seventy minimum. Okay, so let's say there's a difference between yeah thirty to. 40 50 million dollars while we're talking about the traveling and the schedule will hurt the success and the performance of the teams what kind of impact on 
the performance and success of the teams that that kind of money have? Well, so let me counterpoint that. Oh, I'm asking a question. Yeah, well, no, it, but it's kind of rhetorical because not really. Well, I wanna, here's I really don't know. Well, yeah. okay, so if if you say you know there's a meaningful difference with the basically the doubling up of your money, which there is in hiring coaches, in building better facilities, and all those other things. What is the meaningful impact of losing a bunch of games, a bunch more games than you otherwise would have? What's the meaningful impact of struggling to make a bowl pretty consistently? Um, we've seen it. I mean, the first three years of the Chip Kelly era kind of provided a, 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 a an interesting insight, which is, um, what are season ticket sales right now? Oh, I I have no idea. But they're, they're not well, good. They're uh, not good. Um, yeah. And uh, interest... Um, from, from that angle in paying money to watch the teams is that maybe it's lowest ebb in history. Um, and even the basketball team, which I uh, would argue is performing at a super elite level, has taken a long time, longer than I expected, to get butts back in the seats. Now, it was finally selling out games by you know midway through this past year, but it's taken but wait, a long time. I, I got to do this one thing at a time if you're going to do it this way. So you're talking about season ticket holders. Uh a six and six, five and seven UCLA team playing Cal late in the season compared to playing Wisconsin in the Rose Bowl late in the season, there's a big difference between how many tickets you're going to sell, right? To, I mean, it's to, just it's hard it's hard to cherry extent, pick all of this to an extent, but not season tickets. I think you're going to fill up the Rose Bowl a little bit more. It's going to be a lot of Wisconsin. Well, uh, won't see won't people buy more season tickets because their season ticket package includes yeah, Wisconsin on the margins. But if if UCLA is putting up consistent five and seven and six and six years, which I don't think is going to happen, I think it's going to be more like seven and five. But if they are consistently struggling to make bowl games, interest is going to go down. That's just it. People don't like watching a program that's floundering um, a little. But see, also a, uh, com- uh, of course. That's just given. But when you suddenly have an infusion of forty million more dollars, does that enhance that seven and five or the six and six okay. before you even get there? But I mean, you're the way you're doing it is the little cart before the horse. I mean, the money else, is going to impact that. Who else is getting seventy million dollars a year? Is it every other uh, team they're playing against in the Big Ten? Uh, so again, more nuance. Uh, yes, to answer your question. And where does the Secondly, money go farther? Secondly, though, where it could... Well, you, you could say dollars go further in Des Moines, Iowa, by far. But what it could... What program has more potential... We're getting back to Sleeping Giant thing here. Um, to jump up a tier with that money. UCLA Iowa always has UCLA. potential. UCLA right. always has potential, but you've now added them to a league with minimum of three other programs who have equal potential. Um, whereas before it was only one that had greater potential. Hey, I'm going to make this point. If, if UCLA is good enough and gets good enough to consistently go 3-0 and in its non-conference... <laughs> We've seen last two seasons, right? I mean, that gets you to eight or nine wins. That that was the big. That was the significant part. They, they do need to change. Seasons. They will need to change their future scheduling practices. Uh, the, this will need to be bye bye to any 
Um, to Georgia. To, to really any uh, marquee non-conference Georgia. games. They've got Damn. to. 100% of the time, they need to play at least two home games in non-conference. And most years, they should try for three. Um, they need to look at what USC just did this year with their schedule, um, where they schedule two patsies, and then they have to do the obligation with Notre Dame and do that without Notre Dame. Because that's that's going to be the key to unlocking any that success. That would be interesting to see if SC does that with Notre Dame. Uh, I, mean, they, they, I think they they, they've got to hope that Notre Dame enters the Big Ten so they can make them a conference game and a protected right. rival. Um, but uh, UCLA... Yeah, you're, you you got to say bye bye to any um, early season yeah, non conference. You got to get marquee. three games you're favored in, and you you're projecting three wins. You, you have to do that. Um, but where we're going with all this is, in in my opinion, a lot of this is going to be. Well, if we're going to get into like one little specific thing, it's going to be the talent level that UCLA can bring in over the next five years. How does it do that? Uh, mostly right now in this environment, it might be different in five years. It's through NIL. That's a, I mean, if UCLA suddenly got $8 million, it's football program, $8 million a year in NIL, it's going to have a significant difference in talent acquisition. Um, the difference for UCLA will be recruiting over the next five years. And that's got a lot of, a lot of little, elements to it nil might be the biggest one it will be will ucla and its athletic department and i mean to an extent the university is it going to be able to get its mind around in hey we are now making 45 million dollars more a year we gotta we if we want to be competitive we've got to transition some of these waf donors to NIL and stop playing this game of of a fight between WAF and NIL. You know, contribute to WAF over NIL. Somehow that little revolution has to happen. Um, and then the program itself, the staff, has to be more effective recruiting. And, and they probably inherently will be if they get an infusion of some money. But they've got to be more effective recruiters. So I think all of this really comes down to if UCLA can improve its recruiting, just not recruit in the top five in the country, but get consistently into the top 15 to top 12, I think that's that's the difference because this is going to be, uh, Dave, why can't they compete with just say, let's not even say the Ohio States and Michigans, but let's just say, why can't they be really highly competitive with the Penn States or the Wisconsin's uh, of the Big Ten? It's going to be talent. So that's where this, if anyone has any kind of forward thinking sitting in the athletic department right now, they have to know that that's what this is all about. Yeah, and you would hope, um, and that's a good way to think about it, because you would hope that this move spurs... Um, spurs that level of thinking in the athletic department. Like, what is the plan for being successful in the Big Ten? Because it's not... Look, I know f uh, because of the way sports are talked about now, everyone thinks about money and all the money and like, wow, this is great because UCLA is going to get so much money. You're not getting any of that money. You, like, you know that out there, right? 
Um, well, you and I are. I mean, we get a little kickback, yeah. but you know what I'm saying. Um, yeah. But no, nobody's seeing any of that money. Um, that money's going to go uh, in in a bad program like Rutgers. Uh, that money goes and gets burned. It gets burned on uh, stupid stuff. Um, They've got this big pit in the back. Yeah, they literally <laughs> they just burn. burn all the cash. Um, yeah. And they're pay they're 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 paying in wins for that money. Um, they're 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 paying and having a horrible program for that money, and that's the deal they have made, and they're okay with it. UCLA shouldn't be okay with that. They shouldn't be okay with just being the same UCLA program they've been for the last 20 years, now in the Big Ten and winning one, probably one in average fewer game a year. So take the take the seven and five program we've been watching for the last 20 years, knock it back to six and six, and call it a day. Um, that's the that's the attitude that I think causes UCLA fans the whole thing huge issues down the road um, and, in terms yeah. of interest and everything, but. If they take the approach that, okay, we now have an actual opportunity to use this money to change our program, to change it in such a way that we can be competitive and we can be the kind of program that, look, set the ambition higher. You're not going to be um, Ohio State year in and year out, but there is no, literally no systemic reason why UCLA can't be what Michigan is right now. Um that should be the the goal, the brand, the ideal is to be Michigan, um, and UCLA can do that. UCLA can recruit at that level. Frankly, Michigan has no reason why it recruits at that level. And just Arbor's, tradition, one hundred percent tradition. Yeah, it's all tradition. UCLA yep. has enough tradition if you're selling it right, and it's got location, and it now has league membership in a way that will attract certain guys. You know, Dante Moore. For all the other considerations, I still don't think he would have been a Bruin if UCLA wasn't going into the Big Ten next year. Um, so all of that should spur UCLA on to be competitive. It should spur them on to change the program in such fundamental ways that I can sit here eating my words in three years. Um, that that should be the way they are using this money because all these schools are like technically nonprofits. All of this money should be funded directly into um, making a more competitive program, making a more attractive program, probably making a more equitable program whenever California gets around to paying the players. Um, and that, too, could make UCLA more attractive um, to recruits. But, and, yeah. Yeah, anyway. And here's the thing, too. If this, were the, if this were happening five or six years ago, what we would be hearing, and, and, it, would be, and it would be valid, we need to use some of that money to upgrade our resources and our facilities. They're already fine. They don't have to do that now. Uh, they've succeeded in doing that. They they've already moved the launching off point with this extra infusion of money. They don't. I mean, maybe here or there, if you recent. I mean, come on. They got the best food program. <laughs> it's made national headlines. Um, the Wasserman Center is a very nice football facility. I mean, we we took you through on that video tour. It's very competitive. Can you enhance little parts of it? Yeah, but you don't need to build a $100 million facility. This money has to somehow end up and transition into player acquisition, talent acquisition through, through recruiting. And right now that means NIL. Can UCLA be Michigan? It can. Will it? 
I mean, the number one thing that's always set back UCLA is that mindset, that conservative mindset, the academic, academics always come first, the reputation of its academics, and just the disconnect between the academic side of the university and the football program and the athletic uh, department. That's what's always set it back. I, I'm, I'll be honest, I think the money's going to enhance so much. I'm skeptical whether the, that mindset changes. Um, the way it will change is if Chancellor, whenever Chancellor, and we would have said this before this whole Big Ten move, if Chancellor Block ever leaves and who the new chancellor is, if he's more, you know, uh, athletic minded. Um, so right now in the athletic department, like we both said, you have to hope, and I'm going to be asking people about this. Is there, is there the plan? of being able to use the infusion of Big Ten media money however they want to get into the details, but where it comes out on the other end towards talent acquisition, towards recruiting. Because that's the thing. UCLA starts winning a little, starts getting some talent. I, I think despite itself of its academic side shooting itself in its, in its athletic foot, can still do it. I've seen it happen. When when back in the late 90s, when UCLA was ranked number one in the country, recruiting was beyond what you could ever imagine. Some of the best players, recruits in the country were calling them up wanting to be recruited. We've seen what success does, how it impacts recruiting. You got to hope that there is a plan there in the athletic department that they realize to be competitive in the Big Ten, it's going to be all about the talent level. Yep. So uh, that's the challenge. That's the gauntlet laid down for UCLA. But um, yeah, a lot of ways to look at it. Um, and I think for a lot of fans, just the simple excitement of... Uh, of going to those games. Going to those games, seeing those opponents at the Rose Bowl. I think that's going to... That's going to carry a lot of people for at least the next few years, um, and it, I think it's, so too. it's not going to be old hat for a while. So I think there's a little window of opportunity to you know dip your toes in, figure out you know how do you compete against these schools in recruiting and all that kind of stuff, and then um, and then it's time to get very serious. Okay. All right. Let's finish this off with a little, little bit of basketball recruiting. Little bit of basketball. We're talking the round ball. <laughs> so what everyone is very concerned about, and we've talked about why we can't like reveal some details specifically, you know, who the last unidentified uh, international prospect is. Um, but we can, uh, you know, I can sort of, and a time frame. When all is this going to happen? I know it reassures everyone when it happens publicly, but it's happening behind the scenes and you should just rest assured that making it public doesn't make it any better. It just makes it worse. It just makes you be able to know that it's happening. So just rest assured things are happening that aren't public that you should feel good about. I can generally say, so Elan Fibloui, 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 um, has been, uh, accepted into UCLA. I mean, he, he, you know, they announced it. If he isn't 100%, like the paperwork isn't 100% done. I, I mean, they've, 
it's a combination where they've looked at his grades, everything that, and the, the profile is there. Um, I could, I can say that Jan Vide is, I don't think he's been accepted yet, but once again, I think the profile is there. He'll be accepted. The last remaining UIP looks, I would think from what I've heard, looks good too. Um, I think it's easy to say that probably a, a Daimara also looks good, but that could be a little bit more complicated that just with uh, Zaragoza, you know, making th trying to make things a little bit difficult. But overall, I think, like I've been saying for a long time, the profile looks good that all four of these guys are going to get admitted and, being, and play at UCLA. Um, if that happens... UCLA's at 12 scholarships. Um, Cam Spencer was the Rutgers transfer uh, shooting guard that UCLA is recruiting. Uh, he committed to UConn. Has he officially committed? I knew uh, the word was that he was about to. Uh, I know he was going to officially visit UCLA this weekend. Uh, he looked for more NIL money. My understanding, UCLA wasn't willing to do that. Uh, and, you know, all in all, probably I think it's a it's a good idea. Cam Spencer, not a pro. Right, Dave? You wouldn't say he's a pro. Um, if he got a huge amount of NIL, God, some of the other guys, especially the international guys, or some of the existing guys on the team would be going, wow. This guy's making three times the amount I am on NIL. I don't know. Uh, another potential chemistry buster right there. Um, but that does leave UCLA with an open one open scholarship. I think we might be seeing some grad transfers who might, between now and the end of summer, who might still get in the transfer portal. Some of them, I think, are trying to get the grades so that they be, can graduate, so they can answer the, uh, so they can enter the transfer portal. Um, so it might not be done, but I, I'd be I'd be pretty satisfied with the twelve. Um, I've hinted at that the remaining UIP uh, is a good fit in terms of the skills um, and his game of what he brings to the roster. Uh, so overall, I'd be I think I'd be pretty happy going to war with these guys. Um, everyone else is also talking about when they'll come in. I, I think generally don't maybe expect them in the June summer session. It might be, I think the other summer session maybe starts early August. So they might have a few weeks before they take off for those games that are going to be played in Spain. Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, the Cam Spencer thing. Um, I, and it's, first it's, off, wait, before I do not, we cannot go after Cam Spencer. The guy's not, I don't think he's a pro. He's trying to make. He's been toiling at basketball his entire life. He's trying to make a little bit of money. My gosh, let the guy make some money. Yeah, and look, uh, I, I think uh, Cam Spencer would fill a major hole uh, for UCLA next year, um, which is shooting, um, and would be a, in my mind, would be a pretty obvious starter. But I think that chemistry concern is real, um, especially like with these things aren't public, but kind of pseudo public um and if that did you know if, if that does upset the balance for the team because if you remember going back to it uh when when uh you know 
when we were talking about the initial plan with Men of Westwood, it was, you know, get everyone more or less an even base amount. Um, and, you know, going for a big, uh, you know, going and paying a ton for one guy would kind of upset that a little bit. Um, Just wasn't realistic in the long run with the way NIL is going. Yeah, so uh, it makes sense. It, it, But, like, I don't want to discount um, Cam Spencer because I do think, you know, not a pro, sure, but major factor if he had arrived at UCLA next year, absolutely. Yeah, and I think, uh, once again, I don't know when this is all going to play out. Uh, uh, each one of these guys qualifying, getting through UCLA admissions it is a separate situation. And, I mean, they're all separate. Uh, Mara has a different situation with with Zaragoza. Um, it's all going to play out when it plays out. And it's not like everyone thinks it's such a set thing. And it really isn't when it comes to trying to recruit international players. Right. There is a lot of complicating factors. So not only academics, but like we've learned, their former team, those contracts, a, a lot of things. Yeah. So, um, but, I, you know, I'm here just to reassure everyone. It, I mean, I feel the most confident I probably felt about UCLA getting all those guys. And, I mean, Dave, I think it was within a month where we were just doing, you know, the math saying what, what, what were the percentage chances that they would get all of them and where'd we put that at about 20, 30 percent? Yeah, something we, didn't, like that? we didn't think it was likely. Yeah, but I, I'd say it looks likely now. So that's all good news. Be excited, even though they're not 100 percent done deals of being ad- admitted officially and you don't know the I- identification of the last guy. You all should come away from this podcast feeling pretty good. And there's no hidden message there. If you play this back, it won't actually tell you the name. <laughs> but you should try. Yeah, you should try. All right. Well, I think that's about it for us. I feel really good about this, Dave. I feel amazing. I can go off into the world today and feel good about myself. Yeah, yeah. As you do. As and you. Do. I feel good about you. Oh, thank you. Mm-hmm. You feel good. I feel great. <laughs> I feel, I feel, I'm going to feel myself. <laughs> okay. I think Just it's time to shoulder, go. you sickos. Okay. Um, all right. Well, for Tracy Pearson, I'm David Woods, Bruno Port Online, and we'll talk to you again next time. See y'all. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.